All right, who said it? I heard it. Who said it? Who own up? Someone said amen. In a Presbyterian service. Let's immediately go back to our confession of sin. Is that not a powerful, powerful song? And have you ever felt like a greater hypocrite singing something? Right? Who can question any of his words? Well, I can't in terms of who I am, but man, do I ever, right? See, we sing, we sang this at this part of the service because we just prayed and we asked the Lord for his help and we asked him to help us as this God. But the reality for every one of us in here is that as he does help us, we will question him. We will question his wisdom on certain things. We have a text before us this morning that is going to greatly tempt you to question God's words. A text that's going to tempt you in a very great way to be able to sing something like God humbled himself to the grave to accomplish his purposes for us. But now that he's going to ask us to join him in that humility, it's going to be like, well, let's not get crazy. Let's not get out of hand. Yarslav Pelican, um, a theologian, once, once said, if you want to know what a people believe, listen to them sing. I think what the Apostle Paul wants us to think about this morning is that if you really want to know what a people believe, look, look at how they live. Our text this morning, as we continue to look at the importance of our name, Grace Covenant, is uh, Romans 12. The title of the sermon this morning is Grace Covenant, Gracious Living for Ambassadors of Grace, building upon what we looked at last week from 2 Corinthians 5. So let's give our attention to God's word this morning. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself or herself more highly than he or she ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, 
are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, this is not a difficult passage to understand but it is certainly a difficult passage to cherish in our hearts. It is a difficult passage to value. And it is a passage that is filled with statements that lead us to want to say, well, yes, but. And so help us, Lord. Help us to listen. Help us to listen as those who just sang, who and question any of your words. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Beloved, the Christian faith is not simply a set of ideas. It is a lived-out life. It is a life that certainly is based on ideas, but not abstract ideas, but on the revelation of God. Christian living is not only about understanding theology, it is about living out that theology. Living, 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 living. It involves knowing. But we cannot make the mistake of thinking that knowing is the end of the picture. Knowing is for the purpose of doing. 
And one of the great things here in this text is that doing is one of the best ways of knowing. The Apostle Paul lays out for us here, after having spent 11 chapters unfolding the theology of Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of the new covenant. And as he has done this, he has done this with respect to not only the individual, but especially with regards to the corporate body of Jesus Christ. And as he transitions here into chapter 4, he transitions continuing to keep the corporate body of Jesus Christ, the focus of what he is saying. And I say that to you because we, in the world in which we live, are tempted to read through the book of Romans and to think that what Paul is doing is laying out the theology of Jesus Christ that an individual needs in order to be saved. He does do that. But he is doing that so that the individual understands where he fits. This is, by the way, you can tell if a commentary writer is doing this because read the commentary for chapters 1 uh, through 8 and then start and, and, and see what they have to say and then start reading in chapter 9 and you'll see a lot of discussion about now a lot of com commentators don't know how to fit chapters 9 through 11 into the letter as a whole. And it's almost like they would rather move from chapter 8 to chapter 12 because they tend to read the first eight chapters um, as speaking to the individual. And so chapters 12 through 16 must also be speaking to the, merely to the individual. The reason they don't understand chapters 9 through 11 is because they haven't understood the corporate nature of what he has been saying from the very beginning of his letter. And so as we look here at uh, uh, the, the first two verses that I'm not going to spend much time on that are very familiar to you, it is important that we understand that when he asks us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, he is purposely using bodies in the plural and sacrifice in the singular. For the grammar nerds, this is pretty exciting. Because it means all of us as individuals functioning together as a corporate body present our church as a living sacrifice to the Lord. This calling and this identity that we have as ambassadors of Jesus Christ is not something that is merely or even primarily lived out through an individualist expression. It is when we do this together that the, 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 the local church is presenting itself to the Lord as a living sacrifice. And so if, as we have been talking about the name of a church and what that means for, for identity, what that means for calling, what that means for culture, Sacrifice is something that Paul tells us must be 
the, the, the end goal of what we are doing here as a local church. Living out the gospel of Jesus Christ, in which Jesus accomplished that gospel through humility, through service, through sacrifice, through non-retaliation. What words do we hear Christ utter on the cross even as sinful, wicked men are putting him to death? Forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. Beloved, what it means for us to be a, a local Christian church is that this does not only form the content of the message that we believe and that we say to others. It is the method by which we do this. And so Paul here is telling us that as theology is a lived out expression, that our lives are to be reflections not of abstract ideas, but of a triune God who has revealed himself in history and in the scriptures. Theology is not simply about what we know. Theology is what we express. Our theology is not simply a set of ideas or abstractions. Our theology is a description that God has given of himself. Now think about that. I don't think it's a stretch to say that every person in this room knows another person. Right? You know people. And when you think of them, when you interact with them, you don't do so on the basis of a set of abstract ideas. You do so on the basis of how you have interacted with that person and gotten to know them and then live with them in a way that is consistent with what you're getting to know. And as you get to know more, what happens? Well, you have to change. You have to alter the way that you're interacting. Beloved, for us to know theology, for us to be a confessional church, means that we absolutely have to be committed to change, to changing. Not changing according to the world, he says here, but changing according to what God has revealed of himself. God has said, do you want to know me? Well, here's who I am. And getting to know him is not about looking at him from a distance and being able to describe certain things and codify those descriptions. It's helpful to do that but only in so far as you then change yourself to reflect what he is revealing. 
I say that because that is exactly what Paul is trying to say here. Here is all this grand theology, and, and here is the glory of what all of this means for him, and this, the glory of all of this means for you. So, in light of this, define yourselves according to what he has revealed. And express that as a living sacrifice. Now, there's all kind of theology that's behind that. There's all kind of Old Testament stuff that's contained in that phrase, living sacrifice, that we don't have time to get into because we don't. But the bottom line is this. If God has called you out of darkness and into light, if he has called you out of death and into life, you are now, as an ambassador of God's grace, you are to carry out that identity and calling as a living sacrifice. Now, so let's just get obvious right here, right? Is sacrifice pleasant? It's not for me. And so you're going to be uncomfortable the rest of the sermon. But, look, you only get like 25 minutes of, of discomfort. I've had it all week. You're going to be uncomfortable. Because there is no way to present sacrificial living as pleasant. If it's pleasant, it's not Sacrificial. And so what does he tell us here? As ambassadors of Jesus Christ, as ambassadors of the new covenant, as ambassadors of grace, the identity and calling that we have as God's people must be worked out in and through practices of gracious living. He did not call us to be ambassadors of grace in order for us to be jerks, right? That's kind of the obvious thing. He has called us to be ambassadors of grace so that our lives, so that our attitudes, so that our values, so that our words, so that our political interactions through our relationship, our relational interactions, our vocational interactions, that everything about who we are and what we do is an expression of the grace that we have benefited from. And so he tells us that what we have to do is not define ourselves the way the world defines us, but define ourselves according to what he has said. And so even that phrase, gracious living, if you want some fun, Google it later or whatever search engine you use. Because it's real interesting. It comes up a lot. There is a whole website dedicated to gracious living. Of course, what they mean is a life characterized by elegance, comfort, and good taste. The Gracious Living Guide is the name of the website. The Gracious Living Guide will provide inspiration, tips, and support to elevate your life experiences and help you to live a life you love. With our help, 
you will be able to make even the simple things more elegant, exhibit genuine hospitality, and add a dash of beauty and grace to all you do. Beloved, that is not what the Lord means by gracious living. This is also a phrase that has become real popular in in psychological circles. And living a gracious life is living a life in which you experience healthy self-worth. A gracious gracious living is living in such a way that, that you're almost stoically engaged in relationships in the world where you just decide on your own I'm just going to forgive everyone of everything so that I won't have to be dragged down by by all the negativity. And that will be the path by which I now live a healthy psychological life. They're actually onto something there. But not because you just decide on your own that you're going to do this. You see, what the Christian faith says is God has done this for us in Christ. And because of that, God is going to do this in you in Christ. And he's going to do this through you in Christ. And so we don't just make a decision, I'm just going to live in forgiveness. It's you've been born again to be a channel of forgiveness from God. Gracious living is all about getting the focus off of yourself, not onto yourself. And it's about getting the focus off off of yourself and getting that focus onto God and to your neighbor. And so sacrifice is a great concept to help us understand what it is to get our focus off of ourselves and onto God and onto others. Sacrifice is the basis on which of, uh, is the basis upon which God has done what he has done for us in Christ. It is the basis by which he continues to act in this world through us in Christ. Not being conformed to the world but being renewed in our minds. And minds here does include theology. It does include information. But in the rest of the chapter, he's not focusing on information. The renewal of the mind comes through having attitudes that reflect the gospel and having actions that reflect the gospel. It's not merely about the content that the mind is renewed. The mind is renewed as we embody the content purposefully, where we make decisions. I'm going to, to live today with in the, in, in, in the, the attitude of being humble and grateful for what God has done. It's making a choice that you have poured the gospel over yourself so much that you're like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to live in a way that reflects that today. And you make that conscious decision. 
And so to do that, throughout the rest of the chapter, Paul says, first, we have to focus on grace-fueled humility. We are a community, he tells us. We don't live for ourselves. We live for the community. We are one body in Christ. But he also says we are individually members of one another. Now what that means is, I belong to you. And you belong to me. It doesn't mean that to be a part of Grace Covenant Church is that you're here insofar as you are getting something out of it. Being at Grace Covenant Church is about having received from God and now making yourself available one to another as those who belong to one another. And to do this, he tells us, it's going to require us, like God did, to humble ourselves. God didn't have to humble himself. He chose to. Beloved, because we have been drawn into his life, we now must humble ourselves. We are not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. We are to think soberly about ourselves. We are to, understand, we are to seek understanding of who we are and where we are in this Christian pilgrimage. Not getting a, ahead of ourselves and not dragging behind in the way that we understand who God is for us and what he is doing within us. There is this, this, this uh, practice for the last 10 or 15 years, where there has been this, this overcorrection, where in years past there seemed to be such a, 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 a pride and a confidence in the church of, you know, this is who we are, and, and a focus on themselves, that there didn't seem to be a place for acknowledging weakness. There didn't seem to be a place for acknowledging sin and struggle. And so there's been this overcorrection, right, into brokenness theology. That if I'm really being humble, what that means is, is that I just, I'm constantly making myself and everyone else around me that how broken I am. Ladies, get online. Well, maybe don't do this, but if you were to get online, you'll see there's a really popular trend among women that to embrace this, as a homemaker means that I have a blog in which I take pictures of how messy my house is so that I can prove to everyone how broken I am. And look, some of you have messy houses. We don't. I'm just going to let you know. We're not allowed to. And it's probably a very good thing. Some of you have messy homes. And some of you have that because you have very young children, because you're struggling with certain things. And you do want to be honest, but the point is not to be honest in order to wallow in the honesty. I'm just, I'm just broken. You, you were broken. And that brokenness does still continue to live within us. 
but you have also been made new in Jesus Christ. And his grace empowers you to live that out. And he does so, notice here, at a pace that is consistent with where you are in your walk with him. God is so patient with us that even when he makes us new and he, and, and, and he, and he gives us his grace and he gives us the empowerment of that grace to start living in a way that is not only broken, even there he is patient and he is gentle with us. But the bottom line is we have to be aware of who we are in grace-fueled humility. Not thinking too poorly of ourselves and not, getting, you know, not thinking too highly of ourselves. We are part of a group. And the only way to be part of a group and to be a healthy member of that group is through grace-fueled humility. There is to be grace-fueled service. That your engagement with one another within the community that you're in is not about what can I get from you. It's about what can I give. Where can I contribute? Where, where do, can I take my time, my treasures, and my talents and help this community? It's not about, well, as long as they sing the songs that I like. It's, it's not about, well, as long as they do the social functions that I prefer. It's, it's not that as, as long as I get to have my voice in the way that I want to have my voice. It's only if they take what I think so seriously that they're willing to do things differently because I have this amazing idea. And look, I do all of that. I don't have to have this sermon with you sitting here. I have had this with myself in the mirror all week long. Grace-fueled humility Grace-fueled service, grace-fueled love. Now, this is where Paul really starts moving from preaching to meddling. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. He doesn't just call us to love God and to love our neighbors. He calls us to love in an authentic way. To love in a way that is a genuine expression of who you are as one who has been made new in Jesus Christ. And this love, if you will notice here, because I'm not going to work through all the commands. This is, the, the text speaks for itself. What you will not find in this paragraph is any kind of caveat. Let love be genuine as long as the person, you know, receives your love. Hold fast to what is good as long as it's something that you like and you prefer. Love one another with brotherly affection if you share uh, the same taste in music or movies. 
or political party. You see, the text speaks for itself. Just read it. And I'm telling you, when you do, and your mind is going to be, well, yeah, but. Well, what about if? Well, what about when? And my answer is going to be the same to you every time. If you come to me, you're like, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but, and I don't care what you say after that. Well, I care. <laughs> I care. But when you get done with it all, I'm, I'm going to say, but let your love be genuine. And guess what? That means it's going to be hard. And that means it's not going to be natural. And that is why Paul says it is grace-fueled love. See, if, if you just love the person that is natural to love, guess what? Grace is not really the power behind that. If you love just your friends, that's not really a grace-fueled love. You see, the reason it's grace-fueled is because we live out the Christian life as ambassadors of the heavenly places in an environment that is not the heavenly places. And by nature of our lives in this world, it is going to be rough. It's going to chafe. Jesus himself experienced this chafing. He comes down from, from the Mount of Transfiguration where he's just been glorified in front of his, his closest disciples. And he comes down, and what is he faced with? His disciples can't do something because they're not exercising faith. And what does Jesus say? In good Jewish fashion, oy vey, how long do I have to live with a faithless generation? You see, Jesus himself ex experienced the frustration of living outside of his natural abode as one who was the transcendent God and who was due all glory, and yet who for a time gave up that glory to come and to humble himself and to serve and to love, and not to only love his friends. We just saw from Romans 5. But while we were his enemies, Christ died for us. Beloved, that's not just the content of our gospel. It is the method by which the content is conveyed. It is grace-fueled blessing instead of retaliation. Grace-fueled blessing instead of retaliation. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Live in harmony with one another. Not only those who are in harmony with you live at harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, do not as but associate with the lowly. Once again, right there. But, but does that mean? Yes, it means. Okay? Whatever comes into your head right there, yes, it means that. Spending time with someone that it's not comfortable to spend time with. Seeing the person who is in need and, and being willing, not just to, to try to meet the need, but, 
being willing to spend time, being willing to get to know. Don't associate just with those who, who meet the, the desirable quality traits that we want to draw into this church. Well, does that mean? Yes, it does. It means people who don't share our same economic situation, our same sociological situation, our same racial situation, our same whatever situation you want to put in there where you and I feel more comfortable. Yes, it means that that is not what determines who we are going after to try to draw into this shared life of a community of faith in Jesus Christ. It means fill in the blank. Maybe it means inviting someone who is an advocate of transgenderism and expressing the love of Christ and inviting them into this community. Maybe it means someone that is advocating for democratic political policies. They don't have to clean up to agree with us for us to draw them in. Does, well, does that mean? Yes, it does. Whatever we're going through right now, does that mean? Yes, it does. Grace-fueled blessing instead of retaliation. And that is really, really but that's why it is grace-fueled. Because, see, this is what God has done for us. And in his grace, he reached out to us. He came to us. We don't retaliate. It doesn't mean that we agree. doesn't mean that if we're in a conversation and someone is promoting something that is you know, part of the radical liberal agenda, it doesn't mean that to, to love them uh, and to bless them, it doesn't mean that you agree with them. But it does mean that in the way in which you disagree, that your disagreement has to reflect the grace that you have received from Christ. I am horrible at doing this. Let's engage and let's escalate and let's let the voices get loud and, and let me prove to you why not only is your position wrong, but you're an awful person because you hold to it. Let me minimize whatever the true concern is of your heart that has led you into this thing. Let me completely dismiss that. Let me minimize you as a, as a person that's created in the image of God and let me exalt myself to you. See, that's the way I engage. 
I think more highly of myself than I ought. If you don't believe that, just disagree with me. Grace-fueled blessing instead of retaliation. Well, does that mean when? Yes, it means that. Yes, it means that. Yes, it means that too. And as your minds keep going, it's going to be, yes, it means that to every one of those things that come up in your heart. Because those things that are coming up in your heart are those places where the teaching of God is something that you really want to question. Because you really don't want to have to make the sacrifices to live this out. Maybe it's just me. We love our practices come from our new life in Jesus Christ. And our practices are the embodiment of Christ within us. And our practices are therefore not contingent upon the recipient, but upon the grace of God. And that grace, that fullness of his grace that has come to us in Jesus Christ is the fullness of his grace that you need in order to respond to what God is encouraging you to do. Civics, politics, COVID-19, race relations, critical race theory, conspiracies, gender and sexuality, all of these different things that are ripping the church apart right now. To all of those situations, all of what God has said here applies. Grace-fueled humility, grace-fueled service, grace-fueled love, grace-fueled blessing instead of retaliation. Well, but does that mean? Yes. It means even with that person, that topic, that conversation, that situation. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we need your help in so many ways that we typically are not aware. We truly do need you every hour. And we need your grace to be active in and through us every second of every hour. Lord, we do love and appreciate you in what you have done for us in Jesus Christ. And we particularly love to express our gratitude and, and you know, lived out in devotion and obedience when it's something that doesn't cost us much. And so, Lord, help us to be able to be honest about when we are chafing against the cost so that we can reflect 
upon the fullness of your grace that you have already given to our account so that we might truly be convinced and be willing to trust you to take a chance of vulnerability because of the fullness of your grace and not simply because the comfort of the opportunity. Father, help us to do this as individuals so that the testimony and witness to Christ of this congregation within this community would not be merely the words that Christ died for sinners, but that everything about us would reveal that before we ever speak the words. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.